Hello, and welcome to another special episode of WNJY, a podcast for YMCA professionals presented by New Jersey's own YMCA Professional Network, Chapter 17. Today, we bring you the second episode featuring content and discussions presented at the 2022 YMCA Regional Emerging Multicultural Leadership Experience, which took place on December 2nd at Metro YMCA of the Orange's Wayne Branch. The Regional EMLY is a local one-day learning experience designed to provide emerging professional staff of color and allies the opportunity to become further engaged and connected to the Y movement. The experience offers participants an opportunity to learn critical leadership skills at minimal expense and helps young staff to further engage and connect to the movement. If you haven't yet listened to the previous two episodes of the podcast, Naya Nozieri interviews Kalila Harrison from YUSA, followed by Rodrigo Ross's morning keynote at the event itself. This episode, a little bit longer than the last two, features the CEO panel discussion held that day. President and CEO of the New Jersey State Alliance, Darren Anderson, moderates the discussion featuring CEOs Rick Gorab from Metro YMCA of the Oranges, Alex Martinez from Lakeland Hills Family YMCA, Bertram Lawson from YMCA of Central New York, Jarrett Royster of YMCA of Delaware, and Louise McCants, President and CEO of Capital Area YMCA. You will first hear them speak in that order. Enjoy. My name is uh, Darren Anderson. I have the pleasure of serving as the CEO of the New Jersey YMCA State Alliance. I will be the moderator for this session. We appreciate it. I know uh, Bertram came down from, from Syracuse area and, and Jerry said, I'm not going to miss this. So I want you to understand the commitment that each one of these leaders have to multicultural development, to succession planning and ensuring that you all are getting what you need to be the best career-oriented colleagues that we know. And we want to stay committed and connected. Now, let's jump into this dialogue and this conversation. Now, I do have a, a set of questions, but I, I know at some point you may have a burning question. And this panel is just not about us, you know, showering you with our, our career, career experiences and, and, and accolades, but this is about you making that connection with us and understanding some of the challenges that you may be enduring, they have endured and they've endured through it to be able to land uh, at the level of president and CEO of the organization that they're with. So I'm gonna start off with Rick. Let's hear your perspective on the state of the YMCA. What are your priorities and how are you advancing them? So we're talking about the state of the YMCA. I think the pandemic hurt a lot of us in, in more ways than financial, it hurt our staff. Um, it hurt our programs, it hurt our presence, but what it did not hurt was our ability to be a cause-driven organization. So, so to me, that was a win during, during the pandemic, and it's going to stay with us, or should stay with us, at all YMCA's as we go into 2023 and beyond. Um, we were also hurt, I think, in staff training and staff development. And also, I believe we were hurt in the sense that Things that we used to do as a matter of course, standard operating procedure-wise, we had to drift away from. So now I believe it's time for us, and a term I've been using is getting back to uh, blocking and tackling fundamentals to get us back to where we were so we can emerge again in a very strong way as we go forward into 23 and beyond. So at RY, our strategic priorities are centered around three things. We just completed our strategic plan. People, 
programs and capacity building. Those three things. Now, there's a lot of things that float around those three areas, um, but that's kind of where our focus is going to be for certainly 23 and um, likely for the next few years going, going out. Um, I, I am a big believer that uh, although we are a nonprofit organization, that does not mean we cannot make money, and we must make money. Uh, nonprofit only means it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's an IRS 501c3 requirement. Uh, why should make money, and why is that do not make money cannot fulfill the mission of supporting his community. Uh, so we have to get back to being in the black. We have to make money so we can support the communities that we serve. Uh, every Washington you're looking at that right now. And, and for those who are looking to progress in your YMCA career, fiscal management is a must. All right? You, you got you to gotta balance your budget. And for guys who have been around a long time, there were times when you were given one shot, one year, and if you didn't balance your budget, you were fired. Right, guys? That is no longer true, I don't think, in most places, but that's, that's what it was like. Um, so you must, you must really understand uh, your numbers, know your numbers, and, and balance your budget. Um, I'm going to talk about five critical areas that came up throughout our strategic planning process. And... Uh, it didn't matter if you were in an urban area, suburban area, or rural area, these five things came up loud and clear. Number one, they could, be, they could be true in your environment as well. Social issues, mental health and well-being, right? Uh, we answered that call, our association has hired a mental health director um, to help our staff so that we can help the kids and families in our community. Uh, we also have plans to hire uh, three more um, once we get our federal appropriation through the um, appropriation process, uh, which hopefully will happen at some point in 23. Number two, bridging cultural divides and inequity. Uh, we're, we hope to address that in our strategic plan. Three, uh, health disparities and chronic disease. Uh, that, was a that was an issue before the pandemic and it was only heightened afterwards. Uh, number five, uh, number four, I'm sorry, access to quality year-round childcare, and last but not least, affordability and socioeconomic barriers. These are, these are the social critical issues uh, that we will be addressing at, at our Y over uh, the next number of years. First and foremost, though, financial, fiscal, sustainability. Uh, no margin, no mission. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone else have any, any, any commentary to add to the state uh, of the why from your perspective, from your lens and the work that you're doing within your lives? Um, so, you know, I, I would say that the why movement, my why, uh, we're experiencing a lot of what other nonprofits are experiencing after the pandemic. Uh, you know, show me the money. It's, it's, it's uh, budget deficits right now. And I think uh, membership, membership struggles, people coming back, I think uh, routines um, have been busted and people have found other things um, to do with their time. And that's really what it comes down to is how do we present ourselves? At, you know, time is your most precious commodity. And how do we present ourselves and what do we offer um, 
to individuals that they want to spend their time with us, that we become that third place, their home, their business, and then the why. Um, I think that uh, as a movement, we bend, but we don't break. We're very resilient. We've been around for a very long time, and I fully expect that we will be around for many, many, many more decades, if not forever. I think we have a lot of opportunity. I see a lot more opportunity, a lot more upside right now than I do downside. Uh, the caveat to that is that we are gonna have to be willing to change. Uh, we're gonna have to be willing to uh, try new things, uh, experiment to challenge some of what has been the norms of the Y movement. And I can say that as someone coming from outside the Y movement, that we have to challenge some of these things. Um, having worked in federated systems, a lot of times uh, we seek the answers, you know, or solutions to our problems within our movement. But I think, and the way I'm approaching our work, a lot of the solutions, uh, we can find answers that we can um, adapt to our needs and implement in our whys. Um, so I, I fully expect, I see that as an opportunity. Um, you know, I also think that we have to be better at meeting community needs. As Rick just said uh, with his strategic plan, we really have to, I, I always ask myself if wherever Girl Scouts were here at the Y, if the Y went out of business, what would happen? What would happen? And if you can't answer that question like that, then you have an issue. Because if it's about the gym and swim, People will get their Peloton. I run out in the streets. People will find other things, other services. And so it really, we really have to focus on community needs um, like a laser and how we're gonna address that. And I think that's gonna need to be a differentiator um, for us um, as a movement. And the last thing I will lead you, leave you with uh, in terms of the, the, the state of the why is that we have to be better at partnering leading partnerships with other nonprofits, with the for-profit sector, to be that convener, to drive a collective impact so that we can make the changes in our community. Because there are more issues out there, more issues than tissues in a box, okay? We're, we're not gonna be able to solve it by ourselves, but if we're gonna move the needle, we have to be able to partner, and, and sometimes we lead, sometimes we play a second backseat role but we always move forward. I do, uh, go. No, you're good, Alex. What I was saying is that I prepared a few more questions and I put a little work in this, so I'm gonna to go to Bertram on this. Because uh, I, I, uh, Bertram, we've known each other for a while. There was a recent article, uh, I think it was in Community Resources, that highlighted some of the work that Bertram has been doing. So I'm gonna leave with this question and I'll feel free for anyone to, to, to chime in. YSA has made a commitment to becoming an anti-racist organization. How are you leading diversity, inclusion, and equity within your why? And what would you say to those that have not taken any steps? Thank you, Darren. So, yes, the why has committed nationally that we will become an anti-racist organization. And within YMCA in Central New York, we have made that same commitment, not just from my seat as president and CEO, but also our board of directors. And the way that I lean into that work is full, fully and wholeheartedly. 
Um, my start in DEI was in Philadelphia as a VP of operations, but also the VP that oversaw DEI. And the importance of expanding and understanding that all people need access to the YMCA, regardless of where they live at, what they look like, and their gender or, how they, or who they love. Um, and it's very important that that is elevated. And when I say that I lean in it wholeheartedly, I'm very bold about it. I challenged my board when I came in as their first African-American CEO. And um, I asked them about my onboarding plan, which is kind of like cookie cutter, you know, across the wire, right? Um, so I got this plan. And then I asked them a question of was, well, what is your onboarding plan, you as the board, for, your, for having your first African-American CEO? And they didn't have one. YUSA didn't have one. And my board chair, <clears throat> some of the board officers, were a little stuck like, wow. I said, I, I'm asking you that not because I don't think you can't create one. I'm asking you it because, yes, I need to be onboarded to be CEO but I worked for the Y 23 years. So I understand the why. But you have never had a person and CEO that looks like me. So what do you want to do? So we, we crafted one. So that was first week. So first week, very boldly, very direct. The second thing was we crafted our message and statement as an association. And we also looked at the fact that the matter that our board did not reflect the community, neither did our staff. And to be honest, my staff still does not fully reflect the community. We are 80% um, white, primarily women. We are 20% people of color and black. Our senior leadership team has now been flipped. We have 13, 12 members of the senior leadership team. About half of them are black, including myself. And we're still looking to look at other people of color in our community that can serve. Our board is 30, made of 36 members. And 12 of them are African-American now. When I started, it was three. So in an article that was posted in the Post Standard, that's the major New York, um, Central New York newspaper, we were on the front page of the Sunday newspaper. Some of you guys are young, probably never read the newspaper. Um, but there's an online version of it as well. Um, but it said the YMCA Central New York, an organization that we can follow. And it had a picture of my senior leadership team and a whole article about what we had done. That had caused some mass hysteria for some people who saw that as a challenge in Central New York. Um, Central New York is a little parochial. It's a little conservative, right? Some of you may or may not know that. So that challenged some people, made some people nervous. Got some nasty grams, some racial letters, some issues, some concerns. Didn't really care about that. And I very boldly said to those who sent those letters, that's nice. Sorry you feel like that. You no longer have a wide membership. And at the end of the day, I'm the president and CEO. So thank you. <laughs> Zero tolerance for nonsense like that. And the board backed that up, sent the letter to all 40,000 members expressing their support for anti-racism. Expressing their support in the, in the local newspaper as well. So we're challenging very boldly. And we know that in order with um, the two gentlemen on the end has spoken about, about collaboration, being relevant, being sustainable, you can no longer play in that negative space of being um, discriminatory or, or not focusing on all people and recognizing that the YMCA cannot be focused on a suburban model that focuses on people who happen to have means. And sometimes the majority of those people happen to not look like me. 
But we know people in our communities need YMCAs and need the services, and we need to be at the forefront. The last thing I'll add, Darren, is by doing all that, I didn't know this was going to happen, but by doing all that, we had a major um, corporation come into our community called Micron Technology. Micron Technology is a $27 billion corporation. They're number one in semiconductors in the country, number one manufacturer, fourth in the country, fourth, fourth in the world. By what we did, aligned with what their thoughts were, and one of the reasons they picked Central New York as a new plant location, because they wanted diversity, diverse abilities to identify staff of diverse backgrounds to work for them. They're investing $100 billion into Central New York over the next 20 years, and initially about $500 million. They're gonna bring 9,000 jobs in 20 years and about 50,000 jobs in the state of New York. That's a major change. So when money talk, people start paying attention. We were the nonprofit that they announced that they will partner with and support. President Biden came to speak. The governor of New York came to speak. Senator Chuck Schumer and others came to speak. And they announced that the YMCA of Central New York was going to get an initial half a million dollars towards an ask of $20 million because of the work and our alignment, but it really started at the DEI work. Lots of YMCAs get caught up in not and worrying about what donors are going to do or not do, or board members are going to leave because they're doing that work. There are board members, there are donors out there that will support the work because they understand the YMCAs for all. So I stopped there. I'm good. <laughs> Let's kick it over. Uh, I, I'm sure that Jared, you, you you have a response to that to that question, but also add what do you think the leadership competencies are needed to take those bold steps and to begin to diversify and bring equity at the core center of the work that we're doing in our branches and across the movement. Please. Thank you, thank you, Dan. So I um I have been thinking for. Uh, long time about organizational our approach to being an inclusive organization and frankly I don't think we have an answer and so so let me just frame sort of contextualize that a little bit um, I have been in this work for 34 years and I think inherently as an organization we have a unique opportunity to build bridges amongst community when you think of America you think about uh, an identity crisis. I think America has an identity problem and an identity crisis and we're trying to figure out democracy and who we are as a nation. That people aren't spending enough critical time together to see past the petty things that are dividing us as a nation. But I see uh, beauty when I walk into a Y Fitness Center when I see people from all different perspectives uh, fellowshipping each other uh, through uh, group exercise classes, or I see people in the swimming pool together, and I see young, young families in uh, youth, participating in youth sports programs. I think sports is probably the best diversity program in the country. So I think that we inherently have a unique opportunity to do something good for our country and help find our way through this identity crisis and why I could be a leader in that. But I think it has to start with each one of us in this room. 
I think hate flourishes as a social-emotional deficit. I don't think it's natural for people to hate. I think uh, when, if you have to, to invest in hate is to have sort of some, a deficit in your social-emotional development. So when I think about what we want to happen for kids, adults can't give what they don't have. So we first have to start with building the capacity of our staff to love and care and nurture and support each other in the ways that we want people in our community to do. So I don't have the answer on how we do that, but I know our current approach isn't right. Because I've been in trainings when I walk away feeling like my white brothers and sisters and my folks from different communities uh, feel uh, like they guilt or they feel pain for what experiences that we've talked about in the past. I don't feel like that's progressing us forward. So I'm looking for finding a new and different way to bring people together. I think it's tragic this conversation in the country that we're having around critical race theory. Now, I'm not politicizing political race theory, but here's what I am politicizing, this point. That, uh, you know, I listened to somebody say, you know, well, we're making white kids feel guilty. And I think every one of us knows the story. Just for a minute, let's think about uh, Black Panther. In that movie, there's all different types of characters, correct? There's all different kind of characters. I think when we tell the story about race and the isms, we tell a very polarized story, that we pick typically two characters. We pick the oppressor and the oppressed. But what we don't tell enough about is the story that people in the room of color wouldn't be free if there weren't white abolitionists. And we don't give them opportunity to see themselves in that story. People uh, of, of Hispanic descent are brothers and sisters uh, in, in this, this movement because of the, the, the Pan-Atlantic uh, slave trade in the, the journey. But we don't tell the story in a way that brings us together. We tell the story in a way that divides us. So I think we need a, a, a movement that brings people together, all people together based on the, the, the common foundation of things that we all think is important. Uh, so that's, that's what I think about uh, uh, us being a, a, a diverse and equitable organization. Now we got a lot of work. We got to find the right solution. Um, to help uh, move us together. Now, now what, what I was asked, uh, to, the question around sort of conversation. So Bernd talked about, you know, when being, uh, you all haven't read the newspaper, he's still writing notes on a thing. I use my cell phone. So this, we're talking about who's up to date and not up to date. Yeah. Uh, who, who's, a, who's a new Jack leader, who's an old school leader. Uh, I am younger than <laughs> So I think, I think if you, you go back to my point that the, that the world has an identity crisis first. I think the why has an identity crisis. We're trying to figure out who we are. And the pandemic has only accelerated that. We had a problem before the pandemic. Nationally, we were losing membership across the country. It was on a decline. Membership nationally before the pandemic was on a decline. Uh, charity was flat in most of our YMCAs across the country. We weren't going tra charity. There's a proxy for successful charity around 15%. Lots of wives weren't hitting that proxy of 15%. Uh, youth development, young people's needs are changing. Anybody in this room, raise your hand if you work with young people. Young people are changing, aren't they? Right? Mental health is a real issue. Social emotional development is a real issue with our young people. We need a different approach to youth development. Yet the why hasn't been adapting to the, the uh, emerging needs in our community. So I, I, I say that we've, it's been a long time coming, 
the pandemic in some ways is a gift because it accelerates the conversation that we need to be a different organization. And to be a different organization, we have to professionalize and equip people differently than we have in the past. So um, why you say hire the futurist? And I thought that was re really weird. I was like, that sounds like the coolest job in the world. I want to tell the future, right? I want to get a crystal ball and tell you all the things that you need to do differently. But the guy kind of said something that I found interesting. He said, we're moving into what he called the VUCA world. I said, oh, that sounds cool. I'm going around saying VUCA world. Sounds like I know a whole bunch of stuff. VUCA world. So he said, we're going into a VUCA world. He said, the V stands for volatile, U, uncertain, C, complex, and A, ambiguity. I think there's merit to that. I think our worlds have a lot of uncertainty, volatility, it's complex and ambiguity. There's nothing really that's linear. And he said to combat volatility, you have to have vision. That's the base skill for leadership. Vision and ability to inspire people to action. Then he said that in order to combat uncertainty, you have to have understanding. To me, a base skill in working with the wise empathy. You can't work with people if you don't have empathy. Uh, then he said the complexity. The, the, the way you combat complexity is with clarity. And I want to come back to that. And last uh, one is around ambiguity. He said the way to combat uh, ambiguity is with agility. So here's what I want to tell you all, is that there's a set of base soft skills I think that's important for our future of our organization. Here's base skills, soft skills, reflection. To be an effective leader, you got to first have the skills to manage yourself. It's, hard, it's a hard job managing Jared Royces. Sometimes I had to figure out what I wanted to put on this one. I couldn't decide why I want to wear my Jordan ones or these boots that I have on. Right? Uh, sometimes I have these feelings that I manifest in my mind that I make up that require me to sit still for a minute because to see the movie for really, really what it truly is. It is a hard job managing ourselves. So in order to be successful at managing others, you have to have reflection skills because you have to be effective at managing yourself. And here's what is really important for you to know. What are your strengths and weaknesses? What are you super good at? And what are the skills you need to build around you to drive a successful organization, a successful department, a successful organization? So reflection skills, empathy. I talked about empathy. One of the, the blessings I have is I grew up in some very tough circumstances. So I know what it feels like to not have food. I know what it feels like to have an abusive parent in your house. I know what it feels like to have a family member that's an alcoholic. I know that story. Do you have the empathy to lead people in the way and bring them to the, the sort of the promised land, problem solving? Somebody said common sense isn't so common, and some days when I listen to people talk, I'm like, damn, it ain't so cool. I didn't mean to say that. It ain't that common. <laughs> uh, but can you solve a problem? Problem solving is a base skills. Um, communication, and here's what I mean by communication. I, 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 listen First pop is one of the best uh, trainings I've ever taken in a while. When I took Listen First, I learned I didn't listen well. And it, I had to go home, and I put myself in timeout. Because I have a lot of people in my life that I love. And I was like, I don't listen to them well. I anticipate what I want to say next. I really didn't hear them. I repeat the same things. One of the greatest ways we can demonstrate we love another human being is really to listen to them. But did you hear them, what they have to say? Nobody wants to work for a, a leader who all they do is do all the talking. My friend Rick at the end of the table talked about building the capacity of leaders. 
to me, a prerequisite that is to have great listening skills, to understand what a person's struggling with. Base skills, um, sort of hard, and I'm, and I'm gonna stop, is operational excellence, and I'm, I'm with Rick on this. If you don't have a quality program, some of you tell me how passionate you are about after school and health. If you don't have a best practice after school program, I, I challenge how passionate you really are about that issue. If you're passionate about whatever you're passionate about, operationally drive it to excellence and be a program of best practice. Secondly is innovation. The last thing we've invented in the wine, I'm tired of going to conferences of tearing that how we're the most innovative wine organization in the world. Basketball was in 1890-something. <laughs> that was a long time ago. You can't claim it after 100 years, okay? So, so let's build back the muscle to be an innovative organization. And I am with Rick. I don't want to have a conversation with you if you can't balance your budget. Balancing your budget is in the sense, it ain't uh, math, it's, it's simple math. Like with y'all, the young kids are learning in school, which I really don't understand. But two plus two equals four, right? You made it, here's what a budget is to me. It's your, our commitment to serve the community in numbers. That's what a budget is to me. It's our roadmap to how we're saying we're gonna serve. And you should be working hard to execute against that. The last thing, uh, and I'm with my friend, Alex, we cannot solve the complex social problems that exist in our community state by ourselves. Can you build partnerships? That's the base skill. So that's my long-winded answer. And they're not gonna give me the microphone again because I'm long-winded. <laughs> no, well you dropped so many nuggets there. They're wow, wow. But I, I tell you, uh, I, it's 12 or 13 of us that work at the State Alliance and I have mostly ladies, so they will cut me off at the knees if Louise does not get her opportunity here. That's what I'm saying, Just I have to grab the mic. We are going to claim, Trenton is going to claim that they were the first championship basketball team of the YMCA, okay? We are going to live that one in forever. Uh, but go ahead, Darren. Yo, I didn't know you, you, I was going to let you talk, but I do have a question there for you. All right. Why is representation of multicultural or diverse leaders in the Y movement important? And to that end, the detriment of not seeing that representation. Hey, hey. Well, it's important because look at me. Look, look, I mean, no, just the visual, not just look at me, but I'm a black woman on a stage with all men. I'm not only a black woman, I'm a black woman with locks. I don't look like, thank you, I don't look like what some people would think a black CEO would look like. So that representation alone makes a difference because other people can see themselves and imagine themselves being me because they see me. And that's very important. Uh, everybody remembers that iconic photo, or hopefully you do, when the little uh, kid, when Obama, President Obama was in an office and he touched his head. That picture is so important because that little kid saw that the president looks like me, his hair feels like mine. Where we, it was never a thought for especially somebody like me, I never thought I would see it. I never thought I would see a black president here in this United States. But to see that child, and so that's why it's important. The representation is important. Um, just overall, in any field, in all positions, 
you know, throughout this Y agency because we have to reflect what's out there in the world. And we are a diverse world, and so diversity needs to be seen. And so that people have something to aspire to, imagine themselves that they can actually be that person and not just be a dream, it's a reality. You know, I go around as the CEO that you can touch because I'm back in my hometown and I'm everywhere. You know, I see a kid in the store and they're like, <gasps> you know, a little kid did that to me. He was like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, how you doing? You know, and he called me the pool lady. <laughs> because this summer I was working that pool so hard, you know, that, that the little kids thought I was the pool lady. And, and that's fine. I'll be the pool lady. You know, but that representation mattered. Uh, so to the detriment of it, if it's not seen, if you don't see it, if you don't see the change, it goes to what he was saying, that you, there, is, there will be no hope. And we, we gotta live with this hope that the world is going to change, that it is going to get better, that we are in this wide movement gonna do all we can do to push it forward. We're not gonna shy away from it. You know, she put up all the great data, and thank you, that was some great data at the beginning. You know, give her a round of applause that she did that, you know, with that multicultural leadership uh, development training to show those numbers, and it was eye-opening and shocking. And for a person that's coming from outside of the Y, you know, I was a Y kid. I was, I was a Y kid. I remember go, going to the Y, and I remember it not being a lot of people looking like me working at the Y. I remember that, I mean, I look young, but I'm 50. I said I look young, no, I'm scared, but <laughs> and I'm 50, but I do remember being a Y kid and not seeing a lot of, you know, black people work at the Y, and they took us out kind of in the woods. So I, I do remember that, but I can say now at the Y that I serve, it reflects the community, and I'm happy about that. You know, so the kids can see themselves, the community can see us, and then we be that pipeline of, you can have a career here at the Y, where somebody, when I was a kid, at that camp, didn't see that. But now it can be seen. So, keep it short so you all can answer questions. I'm not gonna... Alex, you have anything to add before we open it up for, for questions? Go ahead and open it up, Alex. So, yes, please, please. Uh, so, you know, I, I agree with Louise uh, that you can't see what you, you can't be what you can't see. And I just want to highlight that because it's important. So when I was at YUSA, I was working with uh, the Achievers program and we were uh, refining the program. And uh, what really stuck out to me, because we added the, a new component called identity development because of this. A young lady had participated in one of the programs all year long. She, she went on a college tour after the college tour, just disappeared, disappeared. Saw her in the mall one day working in the store. Young lady had promise. So what happened? She said, when we went on that college tour, only thing I saw was white people on that college campus. So I didn't think college was for me. Broke my heart. Identity development matters. We have, we kind of see it and believe it. So you can't be what you can't see. But I also think, and this is broader than about, uh, a representation of people of color, because this is, this is anybody who's had an experience uh, like the families that we serve in really tough communities. Uh, the why is now embracing a culture of philanthropy. 
when I think about, when I hear what it takes for us to be successful going forward, they're saying like we need a culture of philanthropy, that's partnership building, board de development, all those things are part of philanthropy. And I gotta tell you, my colleagues that were always super good at that, were in wise in communities where they didn't, weren't able to develop or generate a lot of membership revenue in the traditional context. They were all, those communities that were really successful were always had a real muscle around engaging people, around building partnerships, having a board that was really engaging, uh, raising a lot of philanthropy. And those skills today are a premium in the Y. Coming out of the pandemic, the Ys that have done really well are the ones who can elevate their story and tell it well. McKinsey Scott gave money to the Y for a reason, if you don't know about that, that gift. It's because those Ys did a really good job telling their story. You have to be super, super good and telling their story. And I want to tell anybody who's grown up in some tough circumstances, you have a strategic advantage. And that's why I think it's important. We can't create a culture that's accepting for everybody if we don't understand the walk that people have, are going through every day. So that's, that's my uh, last two cents. Uh, can, I, can I pass this back? <laughs> I'll Very for safekeeping. Safe keeping. All right. If there are any questions, for, I know that we, we are scheduled to be done at, at 3 o'clock, right? So we probably have time for a couple of questions that we can do kind of like rapid fire. But are there any questions that are out there? I can you pass my microphone. I don't need a microphone, but I, please do. Let's go. Look, let's just make it into me. Go ahead. Ask your question. Can you hear me in the back? Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um, so a few years ago, we, um, and Bertram spoke to this, um, YUSA adopted um, our strategy around becoming an anti-racist multicultural organization. And in your seats, um, I want to know what conversations, or not conversations, but what, how are you responding to um, volunteers and community organizations where that butts up against what they think that our why is. How do you have those conversations? And what are your responses to that? That's why I said I would let another person ask a question because I know I have a deep question. So the the way that I've approached the conversation is really to have one. Is to ask. So what is your hesitancy? What are the concerns that you actually have? What are the things that you're seeing that impedes upon you or the community that you live in? My executive assistant has heard me have these conversations, and she cringes when I say, call that person, set up a meeting with them. Bring them in, I'll talk to them on the phone, whatever. She's like, why do you want to, why do you want to talk to those people? I was like, because if you don't have a conversation, you don't have the opportunity to be educated. Me and them. So it's really having a conversation, but being very honest and upfront with them as well, is I get your point, I understand, but do you understand this side of the coin? And why we're moving in this direction? I'm not asking for you to confirm for approval, because this is what we're doing. You have a choice. Either you choose to support it because it will benefit more people, which is what the why is about, or you choose not to but I'm not gonna drag you along, and I'm very honest about it. 
So it's a very honest conversation, but it's actually having the conversation. So this has been a uh, learning experience for me. Uh, this was not taught in YMCA CEO school. Uh, and so, you know, full disclosure, this has been a, a learning journey for me um, from the summer of 2020, and, it, and the learning continues, right? Uh, so I'm an, active, I'm an active participant in our monthly meetings in, in DEI. And to answer your question, we, we, have, we have done a number of things, and we have established two ERGs, one for African-American ERG and the other one for LGBTQ. Uh, ERG, and I think it's given uh, our staff members a forum and an opportunity to share, to learn, and to grow. Uh, and it's also uh, has spawned other things in terms of uh, community engagement, as well as uh, member education. So you know, it's it's uh, it's progress, and it's a process for us. Uh, and it's it's one that our association. I'll I'll say it's it's a uh, it's been a struggle. Uh, there are those who want to move faster. There are those who are learning, so it's taking them time to catch up. Um, and as I say often, there's a balance in this conversation, um, but it's, it's a conversation that we are willing to have and that we are fully engaged in. So it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, so as a small why, we don't have um, employee resource groups or, you know, I think that they're important because it really speaks to um, diversity inclusion, you know, diversity is about the mix, and inclusion is how to make the mix work for for your business imperatives. I think it's it's a challenge for small wise, um, especially coming from a very homogeneous uh, community like mine. Um, but I see it more as uh, an opportunity to involve the community, uh, to have resource groups like with the community to engage the community, to tap into what are those aspirations in the community. Um, that's how I see it uh, from my perspective. Yeah, and I talk soft like Prince all the time. Uh, it's the purple in me. I, I grew up with Prince. And, um, so yeah, we, we have employee resource groups. And we're in the people business, right? And I here's the, the value. I believe if you had to pick some key indicators for business success is employee retention and engagement. Those are my two top sort of indicators, right? They're on the top of my list. And I think we have to be an organization where every person, no matter what their race or um, uh, preferences are, should feel like they can bring all of who they are to the workplace. And in order for that to happen, uh, we have to give safe places for people to connect with people who share their thoughts. Uh, it is sometimes like going to a retreat. And it's hard for some folks who don't belong, who belong to a, a, a for the sake of the conversation, an IRA group to understand how much energy it sometimes takes to be part of a larger culture that sometimes feels like it's incompatible to who you are. And so that, that comes your opportunity, like a Tesla, to get to a recharging station, to recharge your fuel so you can move, help the organization move along. I think from a business perspective, uh, diversity of thought gives why real power, and we will gain market share, grow more people, and have greater impact 
when we have truly uh, a staff team that reflects the community. So that's why I think it's important. All right, so for New Jersey-wise, uh, if you didn't know it, New Jersey is the most diverse state uh, in the country. And so it makes all the sense in the world uh, to focus on this uh, specific priority. And I'll, I'll use a couple of examples uh, years ago, and it's similar to what's already been expressed, but a couple of years ago I was searching uh, for an executive director for the East Orange Y, which is predominantly African-American. And I had two finalists. I was running the search. I was the COO at the time. Uh, one was African-American, one was not. And uh, a very influential member of the board who were involved with the selection, didn't have the final choice in the selection, but was involved, took me to the side and said, we need a face that looks like ours. Um, and I never lo lost that quote in my memory because it's really true. And it's also true with other staff that we hired. And we have another branch where there's a heavy um, Asian population, about 23 or 24%. And how cool would it be if we were ever successful in having Welcome Center staff who were of Asian descent and a program director or two who was of Asian descent? Um, it would enable us to connect in a much deeper way with the people in that community and that could lead to so many different things right and so uh, it's it's an important business proposition um, and it's something that all wise whether you're in New Jersey or not need to focus on because we saw the statistics the demographics earlier right uh, so it makes all the sense in the world great and I'm just gonna put one plug in uh, before we complete our panel, is that we do have a statewide equity committee that falls under the auspices of the State Alliance. We have Washima, Nara, and, and a few others, uh, Sylvia, uh, a number of all of you that participate statewide. And this past, last year, we had a learning circle among CEOs and CVOs, but we also did learning circles among our, our frontline staff and mid-management that was led by C-suite teams. We've gotten so much feedback from that that they're looking to duplicate that again next year. So uh, be on the lookout. But I'm gonna, we're gonna finish this panel discussion and we're gonna allow Louise to close us <laughs> in our conversation. You've been with us for nine months now. All right. Have you had any aha moments or any uh, periods of euphoria that you didn't anticipate. You mean wake up out of my sleep? Uh, euphoria moments. <laughs> the euphoria of it all is, for me, being a hometown girl and coming back, I mean, well, being there to serve in this capacity did so much for not just me, because I, I felt this was an assignment for God. Keep it all real with you all. I only took this job because I was fine where I was at. I, was, I didn't even look for this job. But it felt that God made me do this job. He said do it. But then it all came, the euphoria was when I would be out there and I would see my seniors, 
you know, my senior saints say, I saw that you got the job, seniors. So they're not on, you know, they're not on Facebook or whatever, but they were finding out this information and my old teachers, you know, would see me out and around town and would say, you know, I'm so proud of you. You know, my older students who are grown now said, um, you know, Miss Shabazz, they call me by my old name. Like I heard you, you know, got the job at this, you know, you're at the Y. So it's all surreal because I know I'm here for a reason and I keep telling that to my staff to trust this process because he is making things happen in this community, into my community that I have no control over. It's him all the way. I'm going where he tells me to go. I'm gonna do what he tells me to do because it's gonna serve my community. And we can collectively say amen All right, we thank you all for joining us and uh, giving us your undivided attention. Now let's give another round of applause for our team.